Good morning, everyone. How are you? Good. Well, if I haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet, as Jimmy said, I'm Marilee Menser. My husband and I are two of the pastors here at New Day, and we love being your pastors. This is an amazing church, and you are wonderful people. He is, um, Bill is gone this weekend. He took our son on a camping trip up north, so that's what he's doing right now. And I am here to share the word with you and to open up scripture together and learn, and I'm looking forward to doing that. Are you ready? Okay, so we are on week five of six in our, series, uh, in our series called You Have Heard It Said, where we're teaching through a portion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we're taking one week on each of the topics that he addressed by saying, you have heard it said, but I tell you. And this is where Jesus sheds a brand new light on a familiar Old Testament law and calls his followers into something totally new. What he said to them was radical. It was hard to hear. Honestly, it's hard for us to hear still. It, it's, um, it cuts deep, but that's what Jesus was trying to do. We've been learning that um, Jesus is not interested in robotic obedience from us. He's actually angered if we twist the law to accommodate sin. But he comes on the scene and he raises the bar on each law, teaching that he cares about the condition and motivations of our hearts before we do or say anything. Because kingdom living flows out of knowing him in the deepest level of our being, right? So our topic today is revenge. Revenge. And um, I feel like this is something that we can all... Um, relate to. I, um, how about you guys? You feel vengeful thoughts? I was thinking back to, okay, when do I first remember feeling uh, the sense of, of wanting to get revenge and getting revenge? Probably with my siblings growing up, right? Somebody takes your thing or ruins your thing or crosses the line that you've drawn in the seat in the car and they put their hand over. Um, I remember uh, somebody made fun of my brother so bad and I got revenge on them in school one time. But um, as we get older, I mean, revenge is this sense of, of wanting to even the score, to pay back, to, um, to get even is, is, is a really common. What about you guys? What do you think? When, is, when are you um, most likely to feel vengeful? When you're wronged. When you're wronged? Yes. Mm hmm. What about if somebody hurts your kid? Or um, if it maybe maybe something that we could we can be stewing about that happened to somebody in our family, you know, said something or did something years ago, but we still are planning revenge, how to get back. Or if maybe somebody says a rude comment at work, or our boss says something that. It was just really insulting. These, this happens all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So the definition of revenge is to inflict punishment by retaliating in kinder degree for a wrong, especially in a resentful spirit. So revenge says, I want the last word. Revenge refuses to forgive. And I would say that revenge adds action to unforgiveness. So Jesus is um, 
talking about revenge in the, our uh, main passage this morning that can be found in Matthew 5, 38 through 42. I'm going to read it for you and then we will dive right in. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Wow, there's a lot there. That, that's a pretty tall order. And... Um, and we're going to dive into that. But first, let's go back to that origin verse, that Old Testament law that Jesus was calling back to when he said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That verse can be found in Exodus 21, 23 through 25. And this portion of scripture is really important because the Israelites have just been freed from slavery. They were slaves for 400 years. So God delivers them and then he gives them all these laws to give them a structure for society. Okay, he tells Moses, these are the laws I want you to set before them. He gives the Ten Commandments and many other laws. Well, this was one of those many other laws. And he said, the punishment must match the injury. A life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn, a wound for a wound, a bruise for a bruise. Okay, so this was how they were meant to retaliate in the, in the kind of the revenge structure that he set up here. And he's just saying, you guys can't just come up willy-nilly with your own revenge plan. This is what it's going to be, and it was given to help limit vengeance so it wouldn't be too much, but also um, to make sure that it, that it wasn't too lenient or too, too strict. All right, so that's what Jesus was calling back to when, he is, when he's talking about the Sermon on the Mount. I want to look at a couple other verses from the Bible on revenge before we really unpack our Matthew 5 portion because I want to give you a little bit more framework and background on this topic. The Bible is full of scriptures about revenge and vengeance. I did this search and almost 100 verses pop up and I got to thinking about it. A good chunk of the Bible is either God or people carrying out revenge. Okay, so I have four verses, but I want some help. I'm going to put one on the screen, and I need a reader of some, con some congregation participation. So who wants to read a verse for us? It's this one right here, Romans 12, 19. Come on, don't be shy. All right, Jeff. I didn't think I'd have the mic. Is it, on, Is it on, Lindsay? Okay. Do not, re do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Okay, so do not take revenge. How about another one? Who's going to read for me? Come on, you guys are being so shy today. All right, Laura, the reader. Do not seek revenge. Or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Okay, another good one. One more. 
somebody from over here. Okay, come on up here. You can be my next one. Sheila's going to read this one for us. Do not say, I will pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord and he will avenge you. It's a good one. All right, last one, Jeremiah 51, 36. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. See, I will defend your cause and avenge you. Thank you. Wow, he is making a point really clear to us in all these scriptures. What do you think that is? Yes, and it is our first main point. Revenge is God's job. He will do it. Why am I? I'm double miking. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Old habits die hard. Um, revenge is God's job. That is our first main point today that I want you to remember and take with you. Those verses made that pretty clear, and this means if revenge is God's job, then our job is to let God do his job, which easier said than done, but that is what we should do. So we should not look to retaliate for a wrong that has been done, but it is appropriate to desire justice and cry out for justice and desire that, because early in Jesus' sermon, he says God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or justice. You're blessed when you hunger for, for justice. You, they will be satisfied. Okay, but the line is crossed when we take revenge into our own hands. A quote from the book um, Disordered Loves by William Stafford says this point really well. Anger at injustice is justified, but only God claims the right of vengeance. Individuals cannot act fairly when they constitute themselves as judge, jury, and executioner in their own cause. It is essential to refer the wrong to God on whom right depends. <laughs> Anger and justice is justified, but we must refer the wrong to God on whom right depends. Okay, well what about human courts of law? Don't they judge? Aren't there people that carry out vengeance all the time? Yes, well, if humans have this right, it's only because God gives it to them. Like when Jesus said to Pilate, you would have no power over me unless it had been given to you from above, right? Romans 13, 4, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So these would be appropriate times where God has delegated authority to meet out um, vengeance. Here's an example when God did that with Jehu in 2 Kings 9-7. The word of the Lord came to Jehu through the prophet Elisha, and he, God says to Jehu, you are to destroy the house of Ahab, and I will avenge the blood of my servants. So God is avenging through Jehu. The blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the Lord's servants shed by Jezebel. So Jehu was commissioned to avenge on the Lord's behalf. So all the avenging that Jehu did in obedience to God was righteousness. If you know that story, he did plenty of other avenging that was not in obedience to God. That was sin. That was unrighteousness. That was personal revenge covered up under the pretense of obedience to God or zeal for the Lord. So... Um, that I want to make that distinction here this morning. Um, that personal revenge is where that crosses the line. That's not godly. 
Okay, so revenge is God's job. So follow my train of thought here. If that's his job, then if we're doing his job, why is that? If we find ourselves this morning that we do our, his job, why is that? Number one, I think it could be because maybe you didn't know it was God's job. Maybe it's just a matter of education. You didn't realize that that was something that he handled. Now you know. It's all good. Or possibly, reason number two, we don't trust him to do it. Or we don't know if we're going to like the way he chooses to do it. Or the timing he chooses to do it in. A matter of lacking trust. God's going to let him off too easy. He's going to wait too long. So I'm just going to go ahead and take revenge. Ultimately, when we do that, we're judging God's justice. Ugh. And that was Jonah's feeling, right? He knew God was going to let the Ninevites off the hook. And he hated the Ninevites. So he didn't want to, he didn't, he judged God's justice. He didn't approve of the way God was going to do it. So if we find ourselves there this morning, we, we need to repent. We can trust him to do it. It's his job, and we can wait on him. All right. Our second point this morning. So if revenge is God's job, what's our job? It's to respond like Christ when we are wronged. I love that God gives us something to do. So he's not just like, sit there and be quiet while I'm going to do this. He, this whole passage in Matthew, he gives us four examples of how to respond instead of revenge when we're wronged. Okay, so we're going to we're going to um, dig through this. It's going to be really good. I want you to realize, though, that this passage is not Jesus addressing the legal system or the political or societal system. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the heart level. He's talking about the personal, each individual person's heart and how they're responding to um, being tempted to, re- to get revenge. All right, so four examples that he gives us in our passage. Number one, when someone slaps you, if someone sues you, if someone forces you to go a mile, or if someone wants to borrow. Okay, first example is in verse 39. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Wow, okay, there's a lot to say here. This verse, I want to say first, is often misinterpreted that Jesus is promoting pacifism, which is opposition to violence as a means of settling disputes. But he is not, Jesus is not talking about a criminal justice system in this passage. In fact, this is something I learned, he's not even talking about physical violence here. He's talking about when we're personally insulted, because in that culture, a slap across the cheek was the highest form of contempt that you could show someone. So Jesus is talking about a personal insult. How are we going to, he's telling us how to respond when we're insulted. Wow, okay. So what he says to do is to turn the other cheek. What that means is to turn around and face them again. Don't turn your back and walk the other, and, and, uh, Isolate yourself from them. Place them in confinement. Turn around and face them again. Love them. Look at them. Man, this is hard to do. But this is what he's talking about. It says, do not resist the one who is evil. 
That can be translated, do not set oneself against the one who is evil. And isn't that our natural response to set ourselves against when we've been insulted? Kind of prepare this in our hearts. We kind of prepare this setting against. And this verse is saying, don't respond to real or perceived insults in that way. A lot of insults are perceived, I just want to say. You know, they, they didn't even realize that that's what they said or, or that that's how it came across. Yeah. And that's where we need to go to them. And, and um, I just want to say, too, that obviously there is a place for healthy boundaries. If you're in an unsafe situation, get out. But, but, but let's not use healthy boundaries as a way to, as like a cop-out from obeying this tough thing that Jesus is telling us to do. Um, so instead of setting, do not set yourself against the one who is evil. Instead of setting ourselves against them, we should be actively for them. 1 Peter 3.9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit blessing. So I want to talk about this a little more. We're not speaking about, because this is not talking about physical violence, we're not saying that, that um, we can't defend, that you can't defend your family from violence or, or you can't, um, you know, defend your family against bullies or something. That is not saying that. In fact, we should teach our kids how to defend themselves, teach them how and when to fight don't go looking for a fight. Don't do it unless you, ab unless you absolutely have to and you're forced into it. You know, don't go looking for that. But if it comes to it, you can defend yourself. Okay, but what it is saying is we need to learn. We need to teach our kids. We need to learn as adults how to respond to insults, not with tit for tat, throwing insults back and forth, back and forth. Because when someone insults us, Sometimes we fire back with an equally insulting remark, right? Mm -hmm. And this is so common. Maybe you're not slapped across the cheek every day, but you're probably frequently confronted by people who insult you, you know, verbally or emotionally. What about your um, spouse or, or maybe um, somebody at school? They say something to you that hurts. Do you say something back that hurts? Or, um, or maybe just store up all those wrongs and retaliate later. Um, he's saying, don't do that. Turn the other cheek. Be for them. You know, be, set yourself for them. 1 Peter 2.23 says, because Jesus gave us a perfect example of this. When they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Lord, help us. <laughs> help us not retaliate when we are insulted. Help us to instead follow your example and entrust that person to you who is the just judge. All right, example number two. If someone sues you, to sue means to judge. So this section is talking about what are we going to do when someone is judgmental, judges you? Okay, this is, this is not um, applying only if you're 
you know, taken to court or something. It applies whenever anyone makes a judgment against you. So, maybe someone thinks that you're doing something wrong and you should pay for it. Or, um, you know, what do you do when you know you're not wrong or, or you're pretty sure you're not wrong, and, but they think you're, you know, you're wrong. And you think they're just being unfair. Okay, well, our natural response would be to fire back with a judgment, right? What do you mean you think I do, I do this and that? Well, well, you do this and that ten times worse, you know? And even if we don't say it out loud, it's still an issue. Maybe it's like your boss, so you just kind of say that in your heart, or, or maybe you're shy, so you just feel it, but you don't say it. Well, that's still the same, because it's, it's about what's happening in our hearts. So, the Old Testament law that this verse is talking about is, um, the Old Testament law stated that if you were found guilty, they could take your shirt or your tunic. But they could not take your cloak or your coat because that could be life-threatening. So the shirt was required, not the coat. Kingdom righteousness says, go beyond what's required. Give them the coat as well, which would have been like, what? Are you serious? That's so extravagant. But isn't that exactly what Christ demonstrated? He was judged wrongfully and endured punishment on the cross that he did not deserve. And by the injustice he experienced, it enabled our redemption. So likewise, when we suffer real or perceived injustice and entrust God for our defense rather than defending ourselves, we are responding like Christ, and we also make way for others to find redemption. You guys, this is really hard stuff. We cannot do this without supernatural strength. These things that Jesus was laying out, you can't, you can't just go Pharisee on them and, and do them by making yourself, you know, just willing yourself to do it. We, we need Christ in us helping us to respond supernaturally and not naturally when we're wrong, don't we? All right, a third example. If anyone forces you to go a mile, go with them two miles. Okay, so this section is telling us what to do in the area of expectations. So this is referring to the practice where Roman soldiers could commandeer civilian labor in, a, in any country that they occupied by requiring them to carry anything for one mile. So this is, this was normal, this is what happened. The Roman soldiers, if you were a Jew and you were busy about your day, they could come up to you and say, hey, you, carry my load for a mile. You know, carry these supplies for a mile. And they had to do it. Well, the Jews hated that. They fiercely hated this law. And, um, it's understandable. But, that's why Jesus used the example, because he, he, he gets to that deepest place in our hearts, and he wanted it to be personal. I wonder what he would say to us today, because no one really forces us to carry anything for a mile. But true righteousness happens at that heart level, so he used that example, so it would really hit home with them. Um... So what do we do when someone forces us to do something we don't think is our job? 
when someone puts their expectations on us, maybe it's parents or a teacher or somebody at church or somebody at work. Well, righteousness happens when we learn to respond in a Christ-like way to the things that irritate us. Not begrudgingly doing the minimum, complaining the whole time, but doing the best we can, or twice what's expected, two miles. That's what Jesus is teaching here. And um, this kind of kingdom living will cost us personally. It's going to be inconvenient. But that is what Jesus set as an example for us. Remember in the garden when Jesus chose, not my will, but yours be done. He's, he's calling us to follow his example in, in this area as well. Okay, the last one. If anyone, or give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So this section talks to us about handling our stuff, or our money. So Jesus is applying all these principles of this passage to our stuff and our money. He's saying, be generous. Be willing to give things up. Really, as I got to thinking about it, I realized, you know what? I think the opposite of revenge is generosity. Because generosity just seeks to give. And revenge seeks to get even. Generosity is just a gift. Giving what they don't deserve. No revenge can live in the heart of a person who does this. No animosity. Only only gentleness and, and a willingness to serve and love the one wronging you. The needs of others come before my convenience. So Jesus is saying, you know, give more than what's required of you. Be generous. Oh, you want my shirt? Here, have my coat too. You want me to go one mile? I'll go too. He's just showing this extravagant generosity. <clears throat> and um, he, he, again, he gave us an example for that. When he gave up heaven to come here, he gave up his glory and he came to live as a man and then suffer and die on the cross so that we could live. That's what he did. That was the generous thing that he did for us. And I just I encourage you, if you're here this morning and you've never begun your personal relationship with Jesus, today would be a great day to do that. Jesus went to great lengths to um, express his love for you and hold out before you the gift of salvation and forgiveness of sins. But it's a gift you must receive. He won't force you to take it. And um, when you receive it, and you, um, you are forgiven of your sin, and you... Um, Get the gift of eternal life in a relationship with him. It's the best decision you can make. If you've never done that, I encourage you to do that today. I'd love to pray with you after service, or you can pray with one of the people from our prayer team as well. All right, so when we demonstrate selflessness with our stuff, we reflect his character, and we, we represent Christ to the world when we do this. So we must follow Jesus' example as much with our stuff as we do with our beliefs and our behaviors is what this section is pretty much saying. All right. 
One last Bible story before we close. I love this um, story because it's this, just a perfect example of revenge playing out and God ultimately getting revenge. How many of you know the story of David and Nabal and Abigail? Yeah, it's a good one. If you've never read it, it's your homework this week. Read 1 Samuel 25. But um, to, to sum it up quickly for you, um, <clears throat> David is, um, I don't know how to sum it up quickly, but pretty much he's been wronged. He and all of his men have been wronged. They've been generous to Nabal's herdsmen and offering them protection for a long period of time. And now David wants to have some provisions for a festival or for the celebration that's at hand and asks Nabal, Nabal's very wealthy, hey, can we have some food and drink? And he's rude to David. No way, you know, and just totally rude. And David is so raging mad. What was, you know, he's like, what's the point of how, how much we, you know, took care and, and guarded their, his, his land and his herds and all this? And so he's about to go and get revenge on Nabal and kill um, everyone in his household. But Ab Nabal is very foolish. Abigail is very wise, his wife, and she rounds up a bunch of food and drink and goes out to meet David as he's on his way in this raging revenge um, mission. And um, she falls at his feet and says, Please forgive your servant's offense. For the, Lord will certainly, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master, David, because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. So she's like, don't do this. You're going to taint your, your name and your dynasty. And, she, and he heeds her good judgment Good judgment is a key here in, in, as an antidote to ungodly revenge. In 1 Samuel 25:33, David says, May you be blessed, Abigail, for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day, keeping me from avenging myself with my own hands. Because whose job is it to avenge? Yes, so, so David does not carry that out because of good judgment. And then, guess what happens? Ten days later, Nabal is struck dead and dies. So God did carry out revenge. And so we can just trust him. And, um, we really can. All right, let's sum this up today. Our two main points. Number one, revenge is God's job. We can trust him. We can wait on him and let him do his job. And number two, we can respond like Christ when we are wronged. With the help of the Holy Spirit, of course. And, and we can be actively for the one who wronged us. Generous, loving, not judgmental. Instead of planning vengeance, planning blessing. Praying for them. And loving and forgiving instead of hurting. All right, let's stand and pray. Yes. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for um, just going deep and cutting right to the heart of the matter, and you weren't afraid to do that. It's hard to hear, though. It's hard to live, but we want to do. We want to because we want to follow you the way that you're 
um, giving us the example to follow. And so we just repent. Let's just repent, guys, if any way we have judged God's justice and not trusted him to uh, avenge. So we just repent. We're sorry, God, um, for not letting you do your job and not trusting you to do your job. You are good at it, and it's your job, so we, uh, we repent for that. And then also, if we've not been responding like Christ, maybe we've been setting ourselves against the one who has wronged us, um, maybe a neighbor or a family. Think of someone who has insulted you recently or in the past. Have you set yourself against them? If so, let's just repent right now. And just say, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry for not turning back toward them in love, giving them what they don't deserve because that's what you did for me. Give me wisdom and good judgment in this area. Thank you, Lord. We want to be like you. Yeah, Father, I just pray a blessing over each and every one here this morning. Blessing over their relationship and connection with you. That they would draw close to you this week and uh, continue to learn and grow. In Jesus' name, amen.